Welcome to Show Me The Money, the podcast that looks at the business side of movies and TV with me, Jess Robinson, and the wonderful Stephen Follows. Hello, how are you, Jess? I'm very well. How are you? Good, thank you. We've got a good set of topics, so I'm kind of excited. It's a sort of one of those things where we get to touch on lots of different parts of the industry and I have to try and contain myself. Uh, well, since you're nowhere glamorous today and just <laughs> generally in, in the UK, uh, I reckon we should jump straight in. Are you ready for, your, for the first one? First topic is, half of Russia's cinemas could close. Da, da, da. Tell me. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, the, I mean, no one will be surprised to hear that, the, you know, there are businesses in Russia having a very hard time given yep. what's going on and boycotts and things. Um, and so the, the Russian Association of Theatre Owners, uh, they uh, published a report and they were saying how severe the problems that they're facing in the country are. So that's kind of... There's a few things in there that are it's really fun to unpick. Um, and so they, obviously, they, they've they had the problem that there's the war in Ukraine. And so mm-hmm. there's been and there's supply supply issues. And then the big thing is the sort of economic blockade that a lot of Western companies are doing, where they're sort of uh, pulling back from supplying Russia. So um, Netflix, Disney, Warner, Amazon all said that, right, we're not going to, we're going to cut off all our services. Um, right. And the studios aren't sending them new films. And, you know, s- some countries... The domestic box office, the, the the money that they make from their own productions, productions made in the same year, could be quite high. Like China, it's quite high. But in mm-hmm. Russia, it's similar to a lot of other countries where 70% or so is from Hollywood. Um, so when Hollywood stops sending films, you've got fewer films to show and therefore you have real problems. So they kind of, they've got a few problems. They, they haven't got... Like they really can't show this, the, the the films that they want to show. Uh, they also have got uh, there was problems for Hollywood side of things where before the actual sanctions were were enacted and the and the economic blockade, the crash in the ruble really affected the box office for Hollywood side because if you're collecting in rubles and then translating into dollars for your for your home you know for the studios, then they're losing money there. And and someone calculated they thought that. Just in one week, they lost about Hollywood lost about four hundred thousand dollars in sort of exchange rate kind of fluctuations over one year, just for just over one week, just for Uncharted, the uh, Tom. Oh Holland. yeah. So that's quite a bit. Um, and then there's loads of little things around. So like the infrastructure in every country is different, and mm. so in Russia they have around about just under six thousand actual uh, screens, but right. two two thousand sites. So that means on average it's about two point six screens per site i don't think that means there's a screen three is like two-thirds of the movie but um whereas in britain that's like over we have almost five and a half screens per site so what that means is that there's a lot more single and dual screen cinemas spread out over a, a larger period fewer multiplexes and and those ones tend to be older cinemas they don't tend to have the like the laser projectors that we're used to so one of the problems they're having which is kind of strange is that the lamps in the projectors burn out quite a lot Oh. And they need to be replaced, and so yeah, one of the, one of the consequences is that they can't replace the bulbs, and and so you can imagine how once the lamp goes in your only screen, oh, in your no. only projector, you can't open. Wow. So so there's but the the big problem they've got is the the lack of new content, and so there's quite uh, <laughs> I'd say ingenious, but that sounds like I'm supporting it. One of the consequences has been that mm. they're starting to show pirated movies. Oh really? Yes. And that, I mean, the, Russia's had a complicated re- relationship with Hollywood piracy for a while because they've been sort of outside the system. And certainly in the sort of Soviet era and things like that, there was lots of VHS. And then even in the early 90s, when 
things went to uh, when they sort of started more capitalist and they got and the MPAA, which is the American Motion Picture Association of America, does a lot of lobbying around the world to enforce copyright and things like that. They got people to crack down. But there were lots of previously government run optical disc manufacturing sites that were sort of essentially, I don't know if they were bought or taken over, but somehow they fell in the hands of basically really, really organized pirates. Uh, right. uh, less exciting than sort of high sea pirates, but okay. Um, so um, no hooks for hands. No, sorry. Yeah, I know. Um, although they may have been stamping films that had those characters in them, um, <laughs> and they would sort of have wide distribution, and they were sort of smuggling them across the border with like. Apparently, they had sort of signs on them saying, you know, warning: radioactive material. Don't open this. Really, oh, don't wow. check what this is in here. So, so there's so there's that. So they, so that had this history of it, and they've been cracking down a lot more. But then. One of the responses, one of the sort of nationalistic responses to the blockade and to the war and things like that has been that there was a Peppa Pig copyright infringement uh, case. What? Peppa Pig is at the heart of everything. When you go deep enough into anything, you find Peppa Pig. What? It's a billion dollar franchise. And so uh, they, there was a, a ruling last year, and I think it was reaffirmed this year in March, where basically um, the, you, the Western owners of the IP of, of Peppa Pig were, were trying to chase after a Russian organization that were using it without permission. And the Russian courts said, uh, no, you, the Russian organization can just use it, whatever they want. They have no obligations to pay. And they basically said, look, if countries are going to sanction us, if the Americans are going to sanction Russia, Russians have no responsibility to Americans which basically kind of informally, formally legalized piracy. Because, oh my gosh. Yeah, once the the courts start saying, we're not going to enforce this, and look, if they're going to be shitty to us, then we don't have any obligations to them. Suddenly there's piracy. So apparently there are sort of pirate um, fast food restaurants as well. There's one that looks a lot like McDonald's and stuff. So <gasps> these people showing Batman, the Batman, or Turning Red, the new Pixar film, like Seen they're just both. ripping them off. <laughs> Very good. They've been downloading them. And then showing them in in cinemas, um, and so I mean the Russian Association of Theatre Owners have said, "Oh, this is terrible," and they're supporting IP rights and stuff. But realistically, let's say this goes on for a while. First of yeah. all, like the sorry, gone. Well, no, I was just thinking they probably got bigger fish to fry when it comes to sanctions and and uh, punishments and and all mm-hmm. of that sort of stuff. So, what what will be the upshot? Well, I mean, the the Russian Association of Theatre Owners says that around 35,000 people work in the sector. And I'm sure that's right. But my point is, it's a lot of people when you think about front of house, behind the house, you know, all the marketing, popcorn. So if these cinemas close, then that's a lot of jobs lost. And also then there is the lack of investment. And so you can imagine it being a vicious cycle. So I'm definitely not pro piracy in this at all. I think it's a bad thing and they shouldn't do it. But I can understand if I owned a cinema and I had employees and I had a mortgage to pay and family to look after and I and no one's going to stop me downloading the Batman and no one's going to give it to me legally, there's very little reason that they wouldn't on a sort of human level just decide to start screening it. So it might be that over the next few months we start seeing this becoming more organized as people are like, oh, no one sued me. Oh, actually, it's wow. all fine. And so we might see a kind of weird quasi kind of like a different world uh, in, in Russia when it comes to what movies are being screened and stuff. That but, um, is mind bending, actually. I'm really that's so fascinating. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it depends how long all this stuff goes on. And, yeah. But I mean, each cult it's funny because the film is a global product and the studios are global suppliers. But the way it interacts with people on the ground can be different in every country because of conventions and because of physicality of where the screens are and government actions and all sorts of things yeah so it won't take long before going to the movies in russia is a completely different experience 
uh, you know, than it is here. Yeah. But um, I I was doing some research of this and I was reading around all sorts of different articles and I I went on to the what, the, the original report from the mm. theatre associations in Russia and I was tired and for a second I thought I'd forgotten how to read <laughs> because it was all in, in Russian language which looks similar but not quite English and I was just tired and, I, and it was a whole it was all text and I was like oh god I've forgotten how to read and I realised that is a I didn't realise it but that is a low level des- uh, fear I have that one day I'll wake up and I've forgotten how to read so. That, this has been a terrifying story for me to research, if nothing else, because I kept getting these flashbacks. So, oh, But as long as you can still do maths and numbers, <laughs> we'll be all right. Yeah, just no algebra. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> our next story is that Amazon has outlined what it thinks MGM's entire film and TV library is worth. This is, uh, this is pretty cool. Tell, tell me all about it. This is like when, you, um, I, I don't know if you had this, but I had lots of VHS videos and then sold them all at one point because I wanted to get rid of them all. And I just sold them just before they were worth nothing. So it's, it's when I say library, I think they mean more than just their copies. But like <laughs> they, they managed to get in at the right time. Yeah. So uh, last year, May last yeah. year, Amazon said, right, we're, they'd agreed a deal with MGM. Uh, MGM is one of the sort of old classic studios set up in like 1924 and it's been it done huge productions and yeah. also like some like it hot and oh sorry actually then they bought United Artists uh, in 90 sorry 1981 which included added more films like some like it hot and Raging Love Bull and film. Rock Rocky and Bonds yeah. all all really cool little films and. So that that's then the MGM that existed, and then they're involved with the Bond franchise as well, and a lot of TV shows, and and um, so yeah, the, Amazon bought them, um, and they paid uh, eight and a half billion dollars. Uh, <gasps> yep. Although, I mean, Amazon's revenue is four hundred and seventy billion. I mean, that's just loose change to them, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't know why they didn't buy a few others as well. While they're at it. Um, but they, so they bought the rights to these movies and the, the, the rights to remake them, which may be a big part of what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's about 4,000 film titles and uh, 17,000 TV episodes. Um, and the, the thing that came out today, also this week, that was so interesting wasn't that we knew the deal was happening. And then earlier in March this year, it was they closed the deal when they completed the deal. Um, and the European um, Commission have already said that it's there's no competition concerns. And the FTC in the in the US have basically said, well, they kind of said we don't have any problem now, but we, we reserve the right to check later. But fundamentally, it seems like the deal's as a done deal as you can ever have. What what came out was that they had valued, so they paid eight and a half billion. Yeah. And at the time, a lot of people were like, "Well, I think that company, you know, MGM is worth about five and a half billion. I think, like, you know, when you look at the market capitalization, and so the difference between the two prices is maybe overspend, but mm-hmm. more likely, it's all of what they call goodwill. I don't know how you'd value your goodwill. Um, um, how much do you think your, your brand's any. worth? I'm no, too grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> well, this no. is. Well, I don't know. Well, this is crazy. Yeah, I don't think the, your goodwill is worth three three billion. Mine's not, sadly. But um, oh, sorry. One day, maybe. But then you get bought by Jeff Bezos, and I can't imagine that's a fun thing to do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this is the the, the non tangible assets. So IP, so intellectual property, so yeah. the right to make a Rocky TV show or whatever, um, and then the brand name, which. Is I mean I don't know how you value that because it's very well known, but what you I mean it's like those people on Dragon's Den who go in and say my company's worth two two million because of the brand, 
And then all the dragons go, you don't have a brand, you have a logo. Um, yes. MGM has more of a brand than, yes. than the Dragons and Dragons Den. Um, incidentally, just, this is just Pedant's Corner for everyone. I don't like Dragons Den because dragons don't live in dens. They, they live in lairs. And so like in America, it's called Shark Tank. And that's fine because sharks can live in tanks, although they shouldn't. Um, but yeah, that's my main objection to well, dragons. But, what, but a, shark, a shark can live in a tank. What if a dragon has been put in a den? Hmm. Okay, okay, fair enough. I can imagine it would be. But I just don't <laughs> think they belong there. <laughs> I love a bit of dragon's den. Anyway, yes, carry um, on. And then... So, yeah, so the, the, the three things that this sort of goodwill, this intangible assets would be, would be one, intellectual property. Two, the brand name, the 100-year-old brand name and the lion and stuff. Although, again, I don't think it's an actual lion. I think it's just a video of one. Um, and then uh, imagine if that was that's part Colin, of the deal. That's Colin. <laughs> well, yeah, um, where, all these years. Where, where would you like it, uh, Jeff? Uh, uh, yeah, put it in the back. It's fine. We'll put it with the others. Um, but then also the third thing is their relationship with creative talent. So they, they have a whole sort of network of films they make. And that might include, you know, like the Bond franchise is quite valuable. Yeah. Um, so the... I think the main reason they bought it is so that they can make more. I mean, they've got the, all this catalogue of content, which they can put on their, on their um, Amazon Prime video and also possibly on their ad-supported one, um, IMDb TV, which they're trying to invest more and more in. Oh. Um, and they can remake stuff. And so they also can take it off the table. So there's not much left. I mean, Disney have bought most things. Warner have bought some more. So Disney have bought Pixar. For seven billion in 2016, yeah, they bought Marvel for four billion in 2019. They've really been spending. They bought Lucasfilm, Star Wars, for four billion in 2012, um, and then they bought Fox more recently for 70 billion, 71 billion. Let's okay. not forget the one billion. You know, what's a billion between friends? Um, <laughs> but but then also like Netflix bought the Roald Dahl Story Company for like 600 million. So. People are when buying. When did lots. they do that? I'd like to know more about that in a different episode, please. Yeah, in 2021. So, oh, like, right. that's okay. So, it's, IP is the new frontier of these things because they've got the money to spend on on. They've got the cash to actually make the shows, but they mm. need, like, uh, they want universes. They want big worlds where they can create lots of integrated mm. products, and and there aren't many left. It sounds silly, silly to say, but we're running out of universes, um, or at least well-known ones. And so, right. previously, Amazon had got. Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. So, yeah, so they're spending all this money to try and have these different sort of um, worlds they can have and all the IP. So, and the idea also is they can take it off the table from other people. So some of MGM's shows are already exclusive. So uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Wheel of Time, they're already exclusive. Mm -hmm. But then there are other shows that are already tied up with deals like The Handmaid's Tale, um, The Voice, Survivor, Fargo. These are all MGM things that are currently on other networks. So it'll take a bit of time for those deals to finish. Um, so, yeah. And the interesting thing will be what, you know, Amazon is obviously a web company and they're, and they're all focused on digital and streaming. And But they've bought some things that actually really want to be theatrical and want to start in cinemas. So Bond was, they're, they're very clear that they wanted to be in cinemas. They held back during the pandemic for a long time where the film was finished, but they didn't want to mm -hmm. do a streaming deal despite being offered hundreds of millions of dollars because they wanted to go to cinemas. And then... Ridley Scott had said that the major reason that he made House of Gucci with MGM was because they promised a theatrical release. So we don't know what this is going to mean. Like at this stage, everyone says, no, why, you know, why would we buy it and change it? Um, you know, what, we, we, we wanted to be what it was. But at the time, you know, I mean, if, when MGM bought United Artists in the early 80s, 
they, everyone said the same thing. Oh, you're just going to subsume them. You're just going to take their rights and, and we're going to lose the brand. And at the time, the, the president of, the, of MGM said, oh, why, why would we buy it just to liquidate it? And, and now United, United Artists only really exists as a logo and a distribution arm. It doesn't... Right. You know, it's, so it doesn't seem a bold prediction to say that MGM won't really exist I mean, Disney have been doing that with Fox. They've been defoxifying most of the Fox stuff. So more and more things are coming under the Disney brand. You know, there's there's only Disney Plus. There's not also Fox Plus. No. So it might well be that MGM will be around as a logo and as a sort of piece of history. We can't lose well, the lion. We can't, can't make Colin redundant, surely. I love the idea of losing the lion. I thought you had him. <laughs> no, <I'm, laughs> he, he came with the deal. Oh, he's in the dragon's den. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, who would, uh, this is a reader question, who would win? But How many lions would you need to beat a dragon? <laughs> I think now we'd have to figure that out with a bit of maths. But um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what will happen. I think that the James Bond is the, is the most interesting brand because yes. it's difficult to know what it's worth. Last time it was valued, uh, last time I saw a valuation was from like sort of three or four years ago and they thought it was worth about 13 billion pounds, I think. Um, but this is still, like we said, chump change to Amazon. Yeah. And so... I mean, Amazon's got about 200 million subscribers on Amazon Prime. And it's difficult to know with Amazon Prime because I would imagine a lot of people are, uh, are on it for the free two-day shipping in the States or it's one-day shipping in the UK because it's we live in a tiny little island. And we can just pass it to each other. Can you give this to Jeff? It's, a, it's lion food. Um, but yeah, so a lot of people are joining for different reasons. And I, and I imagine that Amazon are thinking, right, in the future, people will get bored of the shipping or they'll want something else. So like, how do we make sure that we have all these exclusive shows that nobody else has? But um, mm. yeah. Interessante, as they <laughs> say in um, Spain or Italy or somewhere in my... European mind. Um, I'm very well travelled. That's really interesting. And I really, really, um, talking of James Bond, at some point, can we talk about um, the most popular actors and who's in the running to become the new James Bond? And I wonder what's going to happen. Are they going to make a really cool, bold choice like they have with Doctor Who? Woohoo! I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. Let's, uh, why don't we have a Bond episode? Um, oh, yes. And we can do it with Martin as well yes and i'll do my gold finger impressions and do all of the bond songs for you that would be excellent I, talking of copyright infringement but yeah okay oops um fish finger see nobody knows Good. okay our third story james earl jones only made seven thousand dollars to voice darth vader in the original star wars that's yes. really rubbish <laughs> now, you as a professional voiceover artist, yes. I've got I've, I've loads of questions for you. Let me set the scene of this one, and then, okay. I've, and then I'm going to ask you how much you've earned on every job you've ever earned. Sure, um, sure, sure. <laughs> um, and we'll value the goodwill as well. We can add yep. a few billion onto that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so the headline of this, it, yeah. and it made me think the same thing as everyone else, which is oh, $7,000 for all of his work on Star Wars, uh, the first Star Wars film. Uh, he was ripped off. But when I read it, and I thought, it was, I thought we were going to talk about... Um, Hollywood accounting, which is, you know, how Hollywood proves there's no profits, proof mm -hmm. in inverted commas. Um, and so I was like, oh, actually, I love this topic. And, and this was like, oh, great, we can talk into this because it's actually really fascinating and it's got loads of like subsets that are interesting. But um, as I read into it, I was like, oh, it's actually not that kind of story. And so we may have to do that in a future oh. episode. But I and 
This is actually a, a kind of a simpler story. So one way of saying it is, you know, you look at Star Wars and you see how much it made. And, you know, the, the first film grossed like, you know, 700 and something, $775 million at the box office. It's made so much money since then. It's mm-hmm. spawned all universes. It's worth billions. And that's the, the framing that we now have. But if you roll back to what actually happened was that this was a film that Fox were making for about $11 million. They they weren't really, no one was really excited by it. There were scheduling problems, script problems. So everyone didn't have a lot of faith in the project. Even George Lucas lost a bit of faith in the project. Um, and uh, as, as a side note, he and his friend Steven Spielberg were both making sort of spacey films around the same sort of time with Star Wars and uh, Close Encounters of a Third Kind. And each of them was convinced that the other one's film would do really well and their own one wouldn't. So they made a bet where they swapped two and a half percent of profits of the other person's film for the other ones. And so uh, Steven Spielberg gets two and a half percent of the profits of Star Wars. That's brilliant. It's probably more money than he's made on everything else combined. (laughs) And and Close Encounter of the Third Kind did very, very well, but not Star Wars levels. So, but my point is that most people didn't think it was going to do well and, and they were kind of, you know, disappointed. This was in the process of making it. And then the actual filming uh, didn't involve James Earl Jones. It involved David Prowse, who's who's a bodybuilder, six foot seven bodybuilder. Mm. Um, and so he was going around doing all of the like the acting. I mean, there was a guy who did the uh, a lot of the stunts when it comes to the sword play, but that's quite normal, you know, stunt doubles and all that. But fundamentally, he did it, and he voiced all the lines on uh, during the filming. But he has like a, a West Country accent. Uh, and so when it came to do the edit, they weren't so keen. They were thinking, hmm, you know, maybe this is not quite uh, the oh, way I we want to do it. I am your father. I am your father. <laughs> well, I have just, I've just copied and pasted it uh, into our, we have a, a shared Google Doc with the script. I've just put in three lines at the bottom that are Darth Vader's lines. And I wondered, as a professional artist, really? voiceover artist, would you be able to do this in a, in a non-racist no. accent? The force is strong with this one. That's that one. I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> I don't know why I have to do it like a husky voice at this. Oh, because it's Darth Vader. Because he's he's a powerful yeah. character. You've got to, you know, acting. I have been waiting for you, Obi Wan. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was a learner. Now I am the master. Okay. Well, I mean, you're owed seven thousand for that, if nothing else. Like, <laughs> I am. You've just earned your two percent of profits. Thank you. But um, but yeah. So David Prowess had this West Country accent, and they were like, "Well, that's that's not going to work." Now, as, as I like the accent, I've but just it doesn't... proved that it did. <laughs> well, you weren't around at the time. Sadly, this was in the seventies, uh, if only. Oh, but... It wasn't even a thought at that point. So, so they brought in James Earl Jones, who it took him two and a half hours to do the whole thing. Oh. which means he was paid about $3,000 an hour, which is around $20,000 in today's money. So $20,000 an hour? Good rate? Is, is, does the lady get higher than that? $20,000? $20,000 an hour? Mm-hmm. So wait, so what would that have worked out as altogether? So, so he got, so he got, he got seven thousand for the two and a half hours it took him, which mm, is about mm, three hours. Mm. But and this is then I'm doing currency exchange because it was like this was in the seventies. Mm. So that would be the equivalent of now of somebody earning maybe sixty grand. Six, yeah, sixteen I'll take grand. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, now I've got to find it. Damn it. Although I will get two and a half hours of pure West Country gold, um, which I'm sure is a type of butter. But um, yeah, so they, he re-recorded it. So like in that context, you're like, well, actually, he was paid relatively well, I think. Um, yeah, at the time. Okay, then. Exactly. And he was offered percentage points in return instead of a, instead of a, um, a salary, and he chose not to take it. So I think. Oh, now what would he have made if it was percentage? Well, it's hard to know because he he no one said That's how gamble, much he was it? offered. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But like Harrison Ford only got ten thousand dollars for his whole actual acting performance in the first one. Oh. Um, then he got a hundred thousand for the for the second one and half a million for the third one. Um, yeah, yeah, I know it's getting better. You know, maybe you'll take it. <laughs> but um, but then Mark Hamill got six hundred and fifty thousand for the first one, so he was one of the more famous actors compared to Harrison Ford or whoever, um, and some of the profits. But then Alec Guinness, who was the big star, mm-hmm. so he didn't have a very high salary, but he did get two point uh, two and a quarter percent of the profit, um, and right. apparently that's about a hundred million that he's earned. Um, Lovely. So that was pretty good. That's um, nice. That'll buy you a Nissan or something, wouldn't it? Exactly. But <laughs> I, I did have a look through some of the other things. So um, Paul, uh, Peter Mayhew, who played Chewbacca, he got forty four hundred and fifty dollars a week. Okay. Um, some stormtroopers were paid six and a half dollars because it was in, <laughs> they were in Tunisia. And my favorite one was while they were filming in Guatemala, some of the crew were paid with a six pack of beer if they agreed to watch the film equipment for, for a few days. Wow. So he didn't get the worst deal. Wow. Um, no, he really didn't. And I wonder what um, uh, Richard Dreyfus was paid in his close encounter. Yeah, I I don't know. Like the thing about star salaries is that it's got so much. It's all down to the negotiation at that point. So yeah. if they've just, if the actors just won an Oscar, they'll be able to get more. If the, they don't know how the film's going to perform, like it's it, so it's a real gamble as well as to whether you take. I mean, this is something for a future pod. But we, if you take some points on the back end, if you take some percentage points, you might not see any money anyway, even if you've got a high percentage because yeah. of the way that. So, I mean, taking money now and being able to spend it in Maybe your that's life a safer and, thing. Yeah, I mean, so it's hard to say. So I, as I said, I thought that's what this story was. But when I first sort of saw the headline and started to read it, mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this will be a sort of a really interesting story about how someone got screwed. Whereas actually it's a more interesting element about what, you know, someone's worth and, and how you value something. Um, but my favorite fact I found of all of this was yeah. that Dave Prowess, who was the body of Darth Vader, he wrote an autobiography called Straight from the Force's Mouth. <laughs> and you've got to give, I just, you've got to give that a bit of respect. I don't know who came up with that in his life or who told him at what point, but you just... I hope it's an audio book. (laughs) Because I really want to hear it. Can't afford to get Earl Jones to do it. That would be really cruel. Maybe they would do that. Audible would get James Earl Jones to record Derek Prowse's autobiography. That would not be kind. Interesting. I um I actually, by the way, um, speaking of Close Encounter earlier and Richard Dreyfus, I watched uh, the celebrity Great British Bake Off the other day, and Richard <laughs> Dreyfus was on it, and they had to make um, I think a, a scene of somewhere they'd like to revisit, and he made the volcano from that, and it looked like a massive turd, and I think <laughs> that that is a really good reason for you to watch Bake Off. I mean, I'm getting closer to watching it, but you're still going to have to add a few more elements, I think. God damn it. I like it, but it's not quite there. Damn it. Uh, we have got a listener question. <laughs> is it, Are is you that ready the jingle? For it? Is that yeah. the jingle? Okay, listener good. From now onwards. Question. This is from Steve <laughs> Horn with an E on the end. Um, he says. 
How often does a studio need to make a franchise film, for example, Sony with Spider-Man, before the character reverts back to his owner? Or its owner, I should say. Uh, Also, how long do studios own rights to books before the rights go back to the owner if a film is not made? I would like to know the answer, and so would Stephen Horn. With an E. With an E. Um, well, thank you for the question. That's a really... And, and oh, it's the geeky... Steve Horn, not Stephen Horn. It's Steve Horn. So with an E, but no N. All right, good. Um... <laughs> I'm so confused. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot how to read. Um, yes, so uh, this, this is a, a really interesting question for me because I get to uh, go back to the, the contract. And so this is one of the things that was... We mentioned this uh, a few months ago, where um, when the Sony uh, when Sony Pictures was, was hacked, mm-hmm. well, apparently by the North Koreans, and they mm-hmm. dumped a lot and a lot of documents, uh, quite a, in many gig of documents, and amongst that was the contract that defined what... The, the, the licensing agreement between Marvel and um, Sony around Spider-Man. And so we learned, and you can just go in and read it. You can Google it. It's about 70 pages long. Um, it's in English, but legalese. So some of it's clear, some of it's not. Um, but it, it it shows you how you have to manage these things. So, for example, uh, there's a bullet point list of mandatory Spider-Man character traits. Uh, uh, Spider-Man is male. Does not torture. There's an asterisk, which I'll come back to. Does not Does not kill. Uh, in self-defense or in defense of others, another asterisk, um, does not use foul language beyond PG-13. Does not smoke- wee-wees. Exactly. Sorry, I don't just know giving an example. <laughs> well, I'm hoping you're not going to go around torturing and killing. Just to, um, <laughs> d- d- does not smoke tobacco, does not use drugs, does not... Anyway, and the asterisk is, is permitted when he's wearing his black suit. Um, so oh. if you see Spider-Man with a black suit, um, be careful. Um, but it, de- it defines how he gets his powers, the fact that he's Caucasian, heterosexual. Interestingly, obviously, in uh, Spider-Man and Spider-Verse, all of this stuff has been changed. And yeah. by both parties could change it if they wanted to. And they obviously have since then. But mm-hmm. um, but within that, there is a thing called the production term. And uh, it says the production term extends indefinitely as long as Sony continues to produce and release pictures as follows. And then there's three uh, terms. One, Sony mm-hmm. must commence production with a, of each picture, each film, within three months and three years and nine months. So three and three quarter months uh, after the release of the previous picture. So they have to start making it within just under four years of the previous film being released, mm-hmm. and release it within five years and nine months. So you know, let's say five and a half years of the previous film. So they have to keep releasing them. The maximum space between them could be five years and nine months of releasing. Um, and it says, and then the second bit says, you know, if Sony releases three pictures within eight consecutive years, then Sony may extend the deadlines um, within five years of, uh, starting within five years of every release and uh, releasing within seven years of the previous release. Mm-hmm. So there is this sense that initially they have to make, they have to make them within a certain period. So within release a new one within five years and nine months of the previous one. And if they do make three within eight years, then they can, that's extended. They have a bit more leeway and it, it's indefinite. Um, and the last term is just to say that uh, that can change if there's a force majeure, which, again, I don't know the pandemic probably tested, tested things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, so, yes, yeah, so in, in that particular case, now all of these deals will be different. And sometimes I mean, now I would imagine a lot of these, if this deal was done today, even if it weren't with Marvel or Sony, people would be putting in stop conditions because they're seeing what happened here is Marvel at the time were thinking, great, we're going to get all these films made. And then now Marvel are making their own films and they've got somebody else with the right, you know, it's like, it's like someone else has the right to use your spare room that's kind of annoying if you decide that you want to use the spare room yeah so um for this podcast 
Exactly. You agreed during a moment of weakness to have a co-host, and now <laughs> someone else is doing all the stats that you wish you were doing. Um, yeah. So, uh, so that's that. And then the second half was about books, and so books have uh, uh, they still a contractual agreement between the rights holders and the producer or whomever, and there could be anything, but there's happens far more often. So there's more sort of standard terms that people most people settle on. Okay. And so what will happen is it's called an option agreement because the producer has the option to make the book into a film, but they're not, they don't buy it. They don't have the rights forever. And they also don't have to because it's such an early part of the process that let's mm. say that, you, let's say your memoir, what is it? Oh, I don't know what your memoir is called, Jess, but. Um, uh, voices in my head. <laughs> Very good. So <laughs> voices in the head. I'm the producer and I want to license it from yeah. you. Yeah. Now I'm thinking, great, this is going to make an amazing film, presumably a, a taut thriller. A psychological, yes. mind twisty, a bit like of... Split. Yes, I was but thinking... with more musical. Elements. Gone Girl with a bit of a you know with a with a routine every ten minutes. Okay, good. Um, and then so, but I'm thinking, great, this will make a great film. But the thing is, I don't want to pay you a huge amount of money that you're obviously asking for because I don't know if I'm going to get to make it. And at this point, I might be spending my own money rather than investors' money. Mm-hmm. So I'll do an option agreement with you, or I'll say, okay, over the, I've got the rights for eighteen months, which would be the standard amount of time for the first thing. And I'll give you a chunk of change for that. Not very How much. much? It might be five or ten thousand dollars. It won't be very much, I'm afraid. Right. It'll be it'll be um, one the ten d- rather than the five. It'll be one. It'll, oh, good. Oh, well done. You spotted the trick there. It's one Darth Vader, so seven thousand dollars. Sure. Um, I'll give you a Darth Vader, and yeah. uh, for eighteen months, I have mm. the right at any point. In those, you can't give anyone else the permission to make it during those eighteen mm. months, and I then can give you more money and actually get the rights. Uh, in perpetuity so like actually and now over those 18 months i've got an investor and they're interested we've written the script up based on your book and now we're going to make it now i can give you the full purchase price which might be fifty thousand dollars on top Mm -hmm. i'm not giving you an option this time because i know you'll pick the higher of the two Mm -hmm. um and so then (laughs) you can't not accept that you now that's the purchase price you have to accept it wow okay if during those so yeah and but during those let's say those 18 months are over if there's no other deals in the contract, you get to keep the original Vader, the original seven grand, and I don't owe you anything and you can go to anyone else and license it again. And that way I've always had the freedom to, to be the exclusive person making this so that no, someone, no one could go behind my back. But at the same time, for only a small amount of money up front, you've managed to prevent, you know, you've managed to get something and stop other people making it. But what normally happens is that there's renewal terms in there. So automatic renewals. So this would be an 18 month contract for yeah. $7,000. And then normally uh, there's a, a pre-agreed renewal of, let's say, another $10,000 for another 12 months that I can activate if I want to. So after the original term, I can get, I'll can i give you more money that will have been pre-agreed for mm-hmm. a set amount of time of renewal. Because I might be, 18 months sounds like a long time, but if it's, we've done the deal and then I have to go and hire a writer and it takes them a few months to do a few drafts and then mm-hmm. I have more drafts and then I go to investors and I get some cast. There's only two or three months left on the on the option. It's just like my first marriage. It was over in a flash. That was 18 months. <laughs> you should have had a renewal period. That's the problem. No, I all didn't you want ha- one. All you have was an option agreement. Uh, you should have got the life rights. Um, but yeah, so you might be another 12 months uh, to, to like renew it. And in theory, like if it was a perpetual one, like the Sony one, every yeah. 12 months I would pay you a set amount of money which might ratchet up as well. It might be that each time it goes up and up and up because actually you're more annoyed that you've got some money up front, but you can't, someone else is trying to offer you money. MGM to make really wants my book. thing. What am I going to do? 
Yeah, exactly. They're offering you, for all the goodwill, they're offering you billions. But you've, t- you've agreed with me, sadly. And, and also, you've agreed with me that there is a 12-month renewal, maybe two or three 12-month renewals. So actually, MGM now has to come to me uh, because oh, I did the smart deal. I was wondering how to, I could get out of it. Okay. So they have to either get me to release it or they need to get my permission to do it. Because during mm. this period, essentially, I'm the person that's got the control. Um, but it can get hairy. I mean, I know one um, theatre director who got the rights to a play and he was talking to some investors who turns out weren't very nice investors. And they were talking to him for a while developing it, but he let the option lapse. And on the day it lapsed by mistake, they went behind his back and did their own deal with the author and cut him out. And this guy <gasps> remortgaged his house to do the development costs. It was all oh, quite... No. He's fine now, but it was quite an experience. And it stuck in my mind because it's like this... What you basically, what I want as a producer is to have exclusive control for as long as possible, mm. and the right to pay you more money to renew it if I want. Um, so you know, most books that are optioned aren't turned into scripts or aren't turned into projects. They might be turned into scripts, but then because most films that are developed aren't made, because it's you know you can imagine you're trying to have lots of possibilities, and then a small number get made from there, a small number yeah. get financed, small number get released. So uh, this way it allows producers to or studios over to be developing. 50 books at once and that's costing them a lot on average on overall but not for each one but then only the sort of five or ten that actually get made do they have to pay the big bucks where we get the rights to turn voices into my head into the movie and the sequel (laughs) and the t-shirt wow Um, wow steve horn that was a really excellent question uh send in another one because i think that's really heightened the podcast (laughs) That's Are we accepting really questions cool. from other people or, or just, just Steve? Oh, okay. Other people too. Do you want to send in some questions? I'll tell you more about my voices in my head if you like. Or you can ask something related to the well, podcast. It's up to you how, guys. How about this? Why don't we take your book and adapt it as we're going along? So if anyone, <laughs> so let's say that we, well, I'm the producer and I've just adapted Jess's book. Send in your questions about what I should do next with this. And we'll develop yeah. it on the, on the tail end of the podcast each week. And we'll, work, <gasps> we'll turn it into a project. I'm so excited. Okay, this is amazing. By the way, um, speaking of, of ongoing things, uh, Sonic 2. Oh, yes. My stepson and my husband went to the cinema to see it. <laughs> does that count? Absolutely does not. Oh, my, my, no. Absolutely does not. My neighbours did my home, did their homework, so can I have you let off mine? <laughs> absolutely not. And you've made it harder for yourself now because they're not going to go. In, well, what, what did they come back and say? Are they going to see it again? My stepson absolutely loved it. My husband will never get that time back. <laughs> <laughs> well, sadly, I don't know how you're going to go and see it now, but you've got to work. You've got to go to a cinema on a Tuesday afternoon by yourself, oh the only God. person sitting there, and you for your homework, you have to watch Sonic 2. I'll have a five guys afterwards. It'll be all right. <laughs> wow. Well, maybe I'll take a Pizza Express into the cinema with me. I've been known to do that. Wow. Uh, that don't. is a high level of sneaking snacks in. Yeah, yeah. Pizza. I'm the best. Um, yeah, best not to come to the cinema with me if you have any shame. <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you, Stephen. That was really fascinating. And thanks again, Steve Horn, for that brilliant question. And thanks to you guys for listening. If you like Show Me The Money, then do give it a follow on your podcast app and leave us a review and a rating if you have time. Um, only five stars, please. Um, if you've got a question that you would like answered on the show... Email us, just like Steve Horn did, at showmethemoneypod at gmail.com. That's showmethemoneypod at gmail.com. Thank you and goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.